the weekend variety wireless with Dock Edge Festival. Get a free program at dockedge.nz. Looking at albums turning 40 in 1978, something really quite special came out. Uh, was, well, one of those essentially lost albums that was released well after it was recorded. But 78, it was a big year for good and bad for a band called Big Star. And they are just so name-checked and loved. And uh, this album especially called Third, and it's got another name, Grant Smithies. It has. Sister Lovers, the last remaining two dudes in the band were going out with two sisters at the time. Um, now, Alex Chilton is one of the major factors in this. Just to put people a little in the picture, oh, here's a little story from Jim Dickinson. He was the Ar- Ardent Studios in Memphis producer, talking about Alex Chilton as a young man. The first time I saw Alex Chilton... I guess he was 11 or 12 years old. Now, Alex is what I call an art brat. His mother ran an art gallery. His father was a hobbyist clarinet player. Bill Eggleston, the Memphis art photographer, had given him peyote, and he was running around with his eyes spinning like that, you know, his hair sticking out. And I thought, well, this, this kid's going to have a unique life. He says he was 15, I think he was 14. The second time he ever sang in a microphone, he recorded the letter. And as they say, you know, the rest is history. That's from a great documentary called Big Star, Nothing Can Hurt Me. The letter, he was world famous at 16, this Alex Chilton kid. (laughs) Yeah, it's still a song actually where you collide with loads of people and they've only ever heard Joe Cocker belting it out. Yeah, but. Great white soul group back in the day, mm. the box tops. But as we will soon see, Mr. Chilton became less and less pop friendly over time. This is a big story we're taking on, and I suppose we should try and give it some perspective because that's why people love this album third so much. Big Star, that was his band, did two albums and they broke up within about five minutes, didn't they? They did, pretty much, after the second record. Partially due to Ardent Studios, they were a sort of um, offshoot of Stax Records, who usually, of course, put out soul albums and didn't really know how to market these cats at all. Even though Number One Record and Radio City, the first two big star records, were crammed with potential mainstream pop hits, they got bugger all distribution. So some of these great songs on those things just never really got heard. There was a lot of disappointment and general disarray and a lot of disappearing into becoming junkies and alcoholics and so on. It's a big story, isn't it? Full of all that sort of stuff. And in 1978, Chris Bell, the other major force here, he died on December 27th, 1978 as well. He died on Alex Chilton's birthday just by chance. He'd left the band by this point, but it was only a couple of months after um, the reissue of Sister Lovers Third came out, and uh, he was just driving home from a session or something and drove into a lamppost, which crushed the car and died, died from that. Yeah. And they found no drugs or alcohol in the system. Yeah, well, he'd become a sort of strange Christian mystic character by this time. He made a few solo records. One of them's called I Am The Cosmos, and he became more and more interested in, in sort of the more esoteric ends of Christianity. You'll hear plenty from this album, Third, which so many luminaries rate. It has a cult following, which I sometimes trans, I cynically translate into, that means there are a whole lot of luminaries who think it's better than it is. 
Yes, and sometimes it does with various records, eh? But this one, I think, stands up. It's genuinely eccentric, upsetting, surprising, chaotic, all sorts of things that make it bear repeated listening. Okay, why was it released in 78? Because it was recorded when? 1974, but the sessions were really chaotic, apparently, and a guy, ardent head honcho, Mm. eventually pulled the pin on the sessions because they were getting more and more out to lunch and chaotic, various people drifting in and out, mainly the two remaining, Alex Chilton and Jody Stevens from Big Star, being the core of the band and then a whole lot of session characters washing in and out, including Steve Cropper. Yeah. Steve Cropper, the guitarist who plays on all sorts of soul classics, he plays on here on one song, at least one song. And one of the sisters that Alex Chilton was going with, she sang a lot of vocals on here and Alex Chilton was going down to the studio late at night after an argument with her and erasing loads of the vocals. <laughs> it was just all sorts of mad mayhem going on. He called an end to it all. The songs were mixed. 250 test pressings were made on vinyl and people tried to hawk them around various record companies to gauge their interest because stacks had pretty much gone bankrupt at this point. There wasn't much interest and it just got shelved. Mm. Let's hear some. We're not going to do these in any order because there really wasn't an order. No, there's all kinds of reissues that have come down over the years where people have tried to work out what the original order was because it really changes your sort of emotional experience of the record. Jim Dickinson, who produced it, came up with what he thought was the original order, but you'll still find reissues of it. Honestly, yeah, yeah. who cares? Yeah. Okay, let's hear Kiss of Me. How about that? Yeah, why not? Great thing. Great sex song, isn't it? Not many people write good songs about sex. They write about love. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
Yeah, everything's frail, but it still rocks, I reckon. It's, it's kind of exulting. It really is quite something. Yeah, Pe yeah. People have called it the progenitor of indie music, as if indie music had one. Yes, and it had people either liking or loathing the sort of piano in there. I just read a couple of reviews where they were comparing it to Mike Garson, you know, of, of Aladdin Sane, Bowie fame, because the piano sort of wigs out in that song and... Yeah, but it's an interesting thing, isn't it? I think it's lovely. Yeah, 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 agreed. Yeah. I'll mention something else about the piano on this record. I, I may as well throw, throw it in now. <laughs> I love a piano that sounds like it's down the hall. Yeah, and there's no shortage of that here. <laughs> things, things sitting in a strange place in the sort of sonic spectrum on yeah. lots of these songs, eh? Yeah. Okay, uh, you pick one, talk about it. The song that comes on most editions of this directly after that is called Thank You Friends. Yeah. I think this is a deeply interesting song because some people reviewing it have said how, you know, at least, thank Christ, here's a um, cheerful song on this record. To me, it sounds deeply, deeply sarcastic, the whole thing. It sounds like a superficially joyous but actually quite bitter. He doesn't say thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for making this life of mine possible he says thank you for making this life of mine probable which is i think a reference to him going off the rails amongst other things it's really a, yeah i think it's just fascinating and it's dripping sarcasm you don't think you've just poisoned your own mind it could be but when i first heard it i thought that for sure that's oh, okay. how it seems to me
that's thank you, friends. You can make your own mind up at home, but I thought it was actually just a plain thing with a, a dignified air that said thank you and a nice thing to do. And it could be. Yeah, I, we can't yeah. ask Alex Chilton because he's dead. Yeah, it's true. I think he died in 2010 or something, didn't he? Yeah, not that long ago in the realm yep. of things. Yeah, yeah. All right, we're looking at one of the most revered albums ever to come out. So a lot of people put it at number one on, on their lists of ones, don't they? It's true. Yeah. It's true. All kinds of people down the years have um, banged on about how obsessed with this band they are from people like Teenage Fan Club and R.E.M., Yo La Tingo, so many different characters. It's a very, and, very long list. Yeah, it's a very long list. And a wide range of people have found it in themselves the desire to cover some of these songs too, like everyone from sort of ethereal, electronic-y characters like Dead Can Dance to Elliot Smith, singer-songwriter, this mortal coil, this, yeah, 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 couldn't keep their hands off it. <laughs> That's right. See, there are several covers. Yeah. Okay, we'll just hear Robin Hitchcock on this album. To me, Big Star was like some letter that was posted in 1971 that arrived in 1985. You know, it's just just like something that got lost in the mail. Really. There you go. So we're in deep waters here, uh, but we, we won't hold back. We're looking at this album, the third by, or just third, by Big Star. The Weekend Variety Wireless with Dock Edge Festival. For details, visit dockedge.nz. 1978 saw the release of Big Star's album, Third, which, which was recorded in 1974. It's not flash or organised, but it just has raw stuff in it, which is great. Yes, is that pretty much, eh? There's lots of blather about it being the sort of the recording of someone disintegrating mentally to some extent, in the same way as people say that about uh, records by 13th Floor Elevators and other such, you know. You um, pulled up from saying Sid Barrett, didn't you? Sid Barrett? I was about to say oh, Sid Barrett, but you always argue for his... Sanity. Crystalline sanity, don't you? So, <laughs> fill your boots. But you read some reviews and it makes it sound like relentlessly harrowing and, you know, inaccessible, but it's not at no. all. There's really strong pop undercurrents on some of the songs that still refer to earlier things Big Star had done, mm. and there are just gorgeous melodies flowing through the ballads. There's a lot of really striking lyric writing and stuff through the whole thing. Maybe it doesn't sound whack to us because we've had the inoculation of 40 years of people doing stuff like this. But in 1978, I can see how people might have thought this hasn't even been put together properly. Yeah, what the hell's going on here? Yeah. And just thought it was kind of shambolic demos or something. Yeah. You don't have to look very far to find gorgeous things on here. Like, we should play... Um, Big Black Car. It's one of the things I like the most on here. Slow, solemn, lovely, atmospheric thing with a slide guitar hovering over everything. I think it's marvellous.
Big black car from the Alex Chilton experiment. <laughs> or big star to you. Yeah. In fact, that's not so far from the truth because in interviews and stuff with both Jody Stevens and Alec Chilton, yeah. they say they never particularly anticipated it being called a big star record. Yeah. They were still knocking around together and it was sort of a exploration of things he was thinking about and writing songs about. It even had Alex Chilton written on the tape box rather than Big Star, later on after it sat on the shelves for four years, whichever company hoovered up the rights to put the record out, they slapped it out as a Big Star record because they probably thought that was going to be a bit more saleable to the remaining mm. sort of cult fans out there. Have you seen the documentary Big Star, Nothing Can Hurt Me? No. It's great. No. It's really good. Is it knocking around on YouTube? Yeah, findable? yeah. Okay. Oh, let's just go for um, Stroke It Noel. Why is it called Stroke It Noel? Why? Yeah. Uh, You're the one that listens to the words. Apparently the song started off having a completely different set of lyrics altogether. Oh. So says Jim Dickinson, who produced it. And he says this guy Carl Marsh came in to do string arrangements on lots of these songs. And there was a guy playing strings called Noel Gilbert, who was the violinist for the Memphis Symphony Orchestra, who played on this session. And at the end of recording some of the string parts, someone else shouted out, Stroke it, Noel! Right. Chilton thought this was hilarious, and he changed the um, song's title and, according to Dickinson anyway, scrapped the original lyrics and sort of rewrote it from the top. Ah, and kept the title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this sort of thing happens when an album doesn't get released. It's not like they uh, paid a lot of attention to the final product because it <laughs> wasn't one. Yeah, that's true. Child, will you come on down? Noel. And it's genuinely got a joyous vibe to it, mm. considering how many people talk about the darkness of a lot of the rest of the record. True. Yeah. Holocaust, that's a nice title. 
And what was your view on that? I love a piano that sounds like it's down the hall. You'd be pleased with us then. Albumy, maybe. Yeah, this song, lots of people single out as their most loved or hated thing on here, depending on whose reviews you read. He's talking about his own sort of despair and breakdown, it seems to me. Mm. Yeah, uh, Jim Dickinson, who was the producer, 
here basically says it is about a breakup. I'm, I mean, the whole album. Alex and Lisa were going through the soap opera that was their relationship. The record was about deteriorating relationships. That's what the record is about. Jim Dickinson, the producer at Arden Studios, Memphis. I know Memphis, Tennessee is famous for music, but not this stuff. No, no, no. We'll take a short break, and when we come back... Oh, you can have a lash at a couple, because I double-dipped, OK? Why not? The Weekend Variety Wireless with Dock Edge Festival. Get a free programme at dockedge.nz. In 1978, Big Star released their third album called Third or Sister Lover. It was basically grabbing a whole lot of stuff that was done in seemingly messy fashion and throwing it out there. Uh, who decided to throw it out in 1978? Well, I think someone just bought the rights to it, bought some of the back catalogue from Ardent, and this was amongst it, and they packaged it up and whacked it out. A diamond found in a second-hand store? Yeah, pretty much, <laughs> actually. And um, uh, Chilton has talked about how no one made any sort of contact with him, asked him whether it was a big star record or a record of his or whatever. It just appeared. Doesn't matter. No. I actually but... don't care what's on the cover. No, it just got out, it got out there anyway, which is the main thing. Yeah, all right, your pick. Oh, let's play Kangaroo. I love this. Lots of feedback and guitar noise in it. Some critter online was saying it always made him think of Sonic Youth attempting to deconstruct the Phil Spector-produced, you know, girl group song, <laughs> yep. which I liked. Yeah. Uh, it's another sparse sort of disjointed thing with a loose melody floating around the sea of feedback. Great, I think. And it's the vo his voice on here has got that sort of marvellous whale that always makes me think of people like another big fan incidentally um, Tom York from Radiohead yep
kangaroo. An interesting thing. And this is one of the most covered things on here, like um, Tim Buckley's covered it, this mortal coil, Gavin Friday from the Electric Prunes. It's been covered a bunch. It's got great lines all through it too. St. Joan doing the cool jerk. Come on. I love that. What it means, I couldn't tell you, but... I like the sound of it. My good friend George Henderson of Puddle Fame and Mink, a well-respected songwriter in this country. I asked him, because I thought it might be his sort of thing, what do you think of Big Star, George? You've read what he wrote, eh? Yeah, great. I loved it. Oh. It was a really astute sort of um, and elegant picking apart of what it sounds like and what it does, I think. Yeah. Here's what George wrote. It had sounded a bit fiddly and twee, but third, or it was known then, Sister Lovers, converted me. Here you had Alex Chilton, who was a massively talented musician and singer, off his head on pills and booze, and throwing his talent against the studio walls in expressionistic splashes of song. I loved the way each song went to an extreme in expressing its core emotion. Love, lust intoxication, concern, praise, melancholia, no holds were barred, but the musical language, however sloppy, is up to the challenge and every track is a world of its own. Nice, nice line. Yeah. Okay, uh, you can pick another one. Actually, something that's just straight ahead lovely, like for you, more or less just a straight ahead love song with strings. Nothing uh, other than that going on and gorgeous. Sometimes I can tell I worship you
that's for you. We'll take a break and come back with what we can remaining from Big Star's album, Third. The Weekend Variety Wireless with Dock Edge Festival. New Zealand's premier documentary film festival. Big Star. The album's called Third or Sister Lovers, was released in 1978, and it's a fascinating bunch of tunes recorded at a time when things were seemingly falling apart, but the music on it has just kept that distilled integrity of intent and emotion, and I think that's why a lot of people like it, right? Yeah, agreed. I go along with that. It's also got some real echoes of what they did previously. Like, it hasn't all just disappeared into his declining physical and mental state. We should definitely play... You Can't Have Me, because it's probably the most similar to the sorts of things that Big Star were doing earlier on, you know? It's one of the heavier rocking tunes, even though, but there's also a lathering of sort of squawky saxophone and blurting synths on it to show that he was still visiting ideas that he'd been interested in years earlier. Can't have me from Big Star's album Third. I just want to play Jesus Christ. 
It's got a fabulous intro. I would describe it like a, a carnival band stuck in a beach ball. Yes. Star. You can get lost in all these tunes, and I almost have. Um, what else do you want to say about it before we go? Just a fine thing. Another song, he just sort of, apparently, the song was recorded in a fairly straight way, Downs. Chilton went back in and sort of sabotaged it by replacing all the percussion with the sound of a bouncing basketball. Yeah, good. My, my point there, I guess, is you've had a song that had really strong pop sensibilities, and they made two records that full of what could have been big mainstream hits. Various weird machinations of the music industry meant that they never got heard by people. Mm. And there was deep disappointment. Part of what's going on here is a person is just letting their themselves completely off the leash with no thought whatsoever to the commercial imperatives of the music they're making. That is exactly what made the Velvet Underground great because they knew they were hopeless, they had no chance whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. They thought, well, fuck it, we'll just do what we want then. Yeah, this record has got a lot of strong feeling of that throughout, I think. Yeah, yeah. And while you're listening to Downs, just think of the Tall Dwarfs. It could be one of theirs, couldn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. That ramshackle... being on a radiator. Yeah, you've got it. OK, we'll, we'll go out with Downs and just final words from Jim Dickinson on, on what a producer should do. You could have arguments all day about a, what a producer should do. I think it's case by case, but in this case, an astute individual. 
worked with these other legendary producers and saw that the people who were the heaviest were in fact doing the least. But that's the way you pull it out. It's not your record, it's their record. The producer's name goes at the bottom of the back in the smallest typeface known to man, and that's the way it should be. As far as you go, I'm broke. 